Holy shit, we're still alive! I don't know if I'd go that far. Season three, three banana. Season three, banana. Some other season three, banana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C with Blanche and John, the crew with new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have, have to pee. pee. It's gonna cure your apathy and, and on we. It's the slum 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 booking ghosts on the slum slum You're not getting ghosts on the slum 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 probably fade Hello, folks, and welcome to a brand new, believe it or not, edition of the Slum Gullion. I am Jeff. Three hours behind me is Scott. And before we begin this first of two very special Yes, We're Not Dead episodes, we'll get to that in a second, I would like to apologize to everyone out there for the delay. It has entirely been my fault. I have been dealing with things connected with Mom. I've been dealing with Funky technical issues the last month has just been kind of just to say annoying i think is the best way to put it i am on a slightly different computer system i eat my phone right now so please excuse me if i go in and out <laughs> um that may happen occasionally and i do apologize for that but i did not want to keep you away from us any longer the reprieve is over folks Suck it up. Yeah, deal with it. <laughs> now, as I said, we have two very special Yes, We're Not Dead episodes coming for you. Um, this first one today is going to be kind of a short one because we're just going to bullshit about various and sundry things. I have a few topics I wish to address. Scott is going to smile and nod knowingly without saying anything. And then, coming very, very, very soon, we have our first UMC prize fight. <laughs> that's right not one but two movies that we have never seen before one in a genre that we have never tackled before and they're going to fight for dominance or excrescence depending on how good the films are what are they what will our reactions be you'll find out soon enough how the hell are you scott i'm cheered enormously by knowing we're going to have a umc ufc <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like that one. Exactly. It's about time we had a pay-per-view event. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Ordinarily, one of these genres, you would think, because it's full of tough, violent types, you'd expect this one genre to be able to beat up this other genre. But I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if this one genre has what it takes to beat up the other genre. I think they're actually pretty evenly matched. So I'm interested to hear what we say if no one else is. <laughs> I'm interested to hear what I say. As always. <laughs> but anyway, um, a couple of weeks ago, back in, in mid-August, I went to the National Comedy Institute. Yes, I am very interested in hearing about this. Yes, I want to sing this place's praises. Let's see. We we spent a good five hours there. They say you should have you should take two and a half to three hours to see everything. We spent about four and a half, five hours, and we didn't see everything. Wow. We should have gotten there right when the place opened at 10 and stayed until 5. Really? It's an all-day event, huh? Well, for us it would have been, yes. The Carlin section alone we could have spent hours in. I mean, well, it sounds like when I, I went with my uh, grandfather, who was an old biplane pilot, to the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. And as long as we were there, Ooh. it could not have been long enough. 
<laughs> but okay, the first thing that the National Comedy Institute does when you get there is they also give you the opportunity to buy a two-pack if you want to go to the Lucy and Desi Museum, which is really cool because if you go to both individually, like one is 20-something and the Lucy Desi Museum is 16-something, but if you get the two-pack, it's only $4 extra for the Lucy Museum. Oh, right. This is in her hometown, Jamestown, New York? Jamestown, New York, yes. Odd place to put it. You'd think they'd situate it, the National Comedy Institute in a place that's associated with someone who was into comedy. But, all right, Lucy, fine. Ow. <laughs> Not a fan. Not a fan. I, un- I understand. But the first thing that they do when you get there is you go on these computer screens and you basically fill out a comedy profile. And they give you people, movies, television shows, and like podcasts and internet types of things. Just to, And they just want your likes. And one of the reasons that they do that is because, and like they're, they're scattered throughout the museum, there are little, like for lack of a better, little mini movie theaters where you can go in and sit down and watch a prepared presentation presentation and you actually sign into these theaters and the film that is shown is picked based on the likes of you really how many people are sitting there do they just wait until there's a group of people with similar tastes before they no 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 they they go through like when we walked in there were six people the first time we went into one of these because like i said there's like four or five of them throughout the institute the first one we went into there were about like five people in there we've popped up at the end of a movie and then the next one started and they go through all of your profiles and find matching things uh-huh. And then they present a, a, a film that is that that is, it connects to the, the, what connects all of you. The digital age is a wonder, is it not? Indeed, indeed. Now we actually stayed in there uh, uh, for like a couple of movies because eventually everybody left, and it was just me and my friend, and we wanted to see what they picked for us. Now, did you guys pick similar things? My question is: When you were at these terminals filling these forms out, were you cheating off each other's papers? Absolutely not. Okay. We do have similar tastes. We do vary in a couple of places, but large portions of things were very similar. I mean, there were moments when we were filling out the profile, we were both going, oh, that's on here. Cool. But the Carlin Corner, I, I, I do I do need to take a few minutes about the Carlin Corner. What they did in there, because he has his own little section, which, I, which is awesome. It's a small section, but they have these two terminals. And um, apparently Carlin kept extremely detailed notes, like thousands and thousands of notes that he put in like individual plastic bags. And his daughter donated all of them to the Institute and they were scanned into these ter- into these terminals. So you have access to pretty much all of George Carlin's notes. That's pretty amazing. And that's a touching and selfless act of service to comedy fandom because if you think about the people who came of age listening to Carlin, how old they are now, the baby boomers who have all the money, those I'm sure could have fetched a pretty penny on eBay. Then fuck eBay. That, that could have been an auction house thing. They, they, they could have gone to Sotheby's, if I believe that's the name of the place, and done something and people would have bought it there. But that's a very George Carlin, fuck the rich kind of attitude to give it to exactly. people rather than profiteer from it. And I mean, we, it's, we could have spent hours just looking through his notes i mean we 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 left we were in the carlin corner for about a half hour just going through the notes and we're both like we have to leave now we're not going to see anything else it's funny that it's called carlin corner because it that's that sounds so rustic it's like mr rogers (laughs) neighborhood but with the seven dirty words you can't say on tv (laughs) oh speaking of that this made me so happy one of the things that walter hates about me is i got to see carlin before he died and he didn't and um one of the things that i picked up when i saw carlin was a poster of 
of the 2,200 some dirty words that you can't say on television. I had that poster for years. I lost it many years ago. I have been looking for this for a for like at least a good decade, maybe 15 years, maybe longer, right? Well, at the end, we're going to the gift shop on our way out at closing time, and we saw the poster. And it's been updated to over 10,000 words. Wow. They had two copies of the poster left. Two? Ha! They had two copies of the poster left. And Walter was like, are you sure? And I said, fuck yeah, it's Carl. I'll take two. <laughs> oh, you got both of them? Oh, yeah, I gave him one. As soon as we saw it, I was like, uh, how, how much are they? Ten bucks. How, we have two left. I'll take them both. <laughs> Oh, 10 bucks. That's reasonable. Absolutely. And it was the most reasonable thing there. I'll leave the gift prices alone because the Institute was so amazing. Um, well, that's that's how they that's how they pay for operations. A lot uh, of it. It's like it's like movie theaters in the concession stand. No, a- a- absolutely. But I that, and that Carl is one of the first things that you see, which I also think is is really kind of cool. They have sections on radio and film. What really impresses me is is the interactivity. You can actually sit down at this desk. It's like like it's positioned kind of like a writer's table, and there are holog not holograms, but on the table there are scripts, and you can basically wipe your hand on the scripts and read original scripts for various comedy TV shows and. Films. There is one section where you can read the script and watch the scene and see the difference between what was what was written and what was actually shot. When was this place built? Because this sounds very high tech. I, I honestly do not know. I, I know that Walter and I have been talking about going for several years, at least ten years, because I vaguely remember hearing about when the place opened. Okay. And I think and I think they had an overhaul. I I, I could be wrong, but I believe they may have like they added some things on over the court over the course of several years. Well, that's another nice thing about the digital age is it's a lot easier to update displays and exhibits than it used to be. You don't have to send anyone down down to the basement with a crowbar. Absolutely. Another thing that they had that I thought was kind of cool is they have these blank white faces next to these giant screens and they give you questions about a a famous comedian and as you answer the questions if you don't know who it is the a hologram begins to form on the white face and when you get the 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 name correct the full face appears on the white face this is just american comedians no, well, well, it's, for for most of the exhibits, yes, but like there are sections where they talk, like when they talk about sketch comedy, Monty Python is mentioned. Okay, I was wondering. I actually, I, I said this when I got the feedback. I was very surprised that there was no mention of either the Firesign Theater or Tom Lehrer. No, Tom Lehrer, even because I mean the Firesign mm-hmm. Theater, I can see where that was a that's a little on the culty side. But Tom Lehrer but was Tom on Lehrer. TV. Here. He was, he was. Yeah, very- again, there may have been something that I missed, but I was like, Tom Lehrer should have had. I- I mean, they now this is not the same thing, of course, but I'm like, I mean, they give Ernie Kovacs his own section. Tom Lehrer could have at least had a wall somewhere. You know what I mean? Or a touchscreen where, you know, or, or his songs you can listen play. to his songs or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that that is a minor quibble for me. It really was. Um, Another thing that they had that utterly blew me away. They have these giant tables. OK, and they look like big hockey tables. OK, but they're not. And on on either side of the room, they have all of these what look like comedy props. And you put the props on the table and all of a sudden videos pop up on the table itself 
talking about the history of said prop. And as you twist the prop, it gives you various clips from various media where these said props were used. And they have like a, a butt ton of props. You could easily spend like if you so were interested, you could spend a good two hours just playing with the props. Just the dildo collection from Sex in the City alone would take. <laughs> they have another section. It's a giant wall that is interactive where you see comedy connections like you uh, you you touch a star and you see who they're connected with you touch on them and it shows how they're connected oh so it's what it's six degrees of kevin bacon but funny yes and it's not just people it's also like shows and not just comedians it also mentions producers i mean it goes in depth i mean my like what i was doing spanned a very 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 large portion of the wall and as you're watching like there, there are also various things that as you're watching you can you can like the videos and stuff that you're watching and it adds to your comedy profile ah uh, the world of social media uh, well, not so much social media because really it's, it's um, all it really does is it affects like what things you may see at, uh, on, on like in the movie theaters that, that we sit down and, and also at the end they give you, for lack of a better word, a psychological comedy profile based on what you liked. <laughs> what they diagnose you as you're a fan of sick humor. Kind of. Yes. So as you progress through this museum, they're throwing targeted exhibits at you like your Tom Cruise and Minority Report trying to walk through that mall. <laughs> Not quite as bad, but that's a pretty decent analogy. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, there was just so, like I said, so much stuff to see. I mean, I could have spent a good hour just at the table looking at the scripts that they had. Yes. On, like holographically on the table. That in itself, the writer in me was going, oh my God, here's a Sid Caesar, uh, your show of show script. Holy fuck. Oh, okay. I was wondering if they favored more recent stuff, but they're taking a, a holistic approach to American comedy. If they're going to go back to foundational series like your show of shows, uh, that's impressive. I'm glad to hear. But then, of course, they, they put it in the hometown of Lucille Ball. So how concerned are they about showing too much crap from the 50s? And the Ernie Kovacs corner alone is also a lot of fun. Now, I freely admit I've seen the clips and i definitely respect the man but this was the first time i actually got to see a lot of what he did thanks to this museum and i am now an avid ernie kovacs fan it usually only takes one exposure to either love or hate ernie kovacs i i get it i i i completely get it like they have this one they have this one touchscreen thing that shows you some of the quote unquote classic special effects that he achieved and how he achieved them oh did they do the the one where he's the used car salesman and he, he pats the car and it crashes through the floor yes how did they do that i honestly don't remember thanks for thanks a lot hey, for this I on the spot I, reporting i don't want to spoil the entire thing in case people want to go there which they definitely should because it is a i don't want to say life affirming but it was one of the things that got my head back where it needed to be if you know what i mean i do glad to hear it it definitely i mean being there and 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 seeing just this this love letter to comedy just it really helped me get back on the horse so to speak there's even a section called the blue room what's in the blue room <laughs> um naughty stuff like red fox kind of naughty richard Pryor kind of naughty what kind of naughty well of course george carlin and red fox there's a lot of sections um there's a whole video where you can sit down and watch the history of roasts everything from the friars club all the way to the modern comedy central roasts one of the things that i saw on here i was watched i'd never seen before it was one of the dean martin roasts of johnny carson with groucho marx and groucho marx is doing a roast of johnny carson and it was 
fucking hysterical. I can't remember if they had any clips from the Friars Club, but I read a lot about it because I honestly didn't even know about those again until I went here and found this out, which was kind of fascinating. But they had a lot of clips from the Dean Martin roast. They had some from the Comedy Central roast, which I really didn't care about. They're still doing All- those. There's a billboard on Sunset Boulevard for the Comedy Central roast of Alec Baldwin. I actually know a guy who has written for several of the Comedy Central roasts. So you're a friend of Bruce Falanch. No, I am a I am an acquaintance of George Reinblatt, writer of Evil Dead the Musical. Oh, he's written for Comedy Central roasts. Man, that guy has yes. got that guy has got quite quite the far ranging CV, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He did a big chunk of the uh, James Franco roast, apparently. Well, you know what? Just the chance to roast. James Franco, I'm thinking, if asked, I might have done it for free. (laughs) I'm pretty sure several people did, but that's neither here nor there. But um, one of the things that I love is scattered throughout the blue room, there are various like little little windows that you can open or blinds that you can pull up and every time you pull them up you either get a very short dirty joke or a uh, dirty cartoon from playboy or one of the dirtier magazines i remember those go to various parts stores or auto shops or something there would always be at least one playboy cartoon that somebody had cut out and taped up right right usually the floppy breasted granny those were very Mm -hmm. popular now did you watch sctv at all oh yeah i was a big fan okay good maybe you can help me with this there is a uh, female comedian back in the day. She was if the um, Catherine O'Hara did a parody of her on SCTV. The character's name was Dusty Town. Dusty Town. That was the name of the character, but she was definitely a parody of a real female comedian who who um she did she apparently she did a song called Boobies or oh, a Love Oh yes, Bounce Your Boobies, Rusty Morgan. Yes. Yes, there's a big section of her in the about her in the blue room. Yeah, Rusty Morgan was very popular on a, a Dr. Demento show. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember Dr. Demento. Yes, she was very raunchy and Sophie Tucker like. Sophie Tucker, that was the other name that I was I was trying to think. She's kind of a, a Sophie Tucker esque personality. But yeah, I had never heard of this person, but then I was reading about. It, I was like, oh my god, this is exactly who Catherine O'Hara was parodying. But another another minor quibble. There's only a few scant mentions of SCTV. Well, it is Canadian. That uh, very true, very true. But just for its importance in comedy, I was like, okay, I would have liked a little more than just a picture. Oh, 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 I'm being sarcastic here. There is a really kind of fairly long video where Dan Aykroyd talks about his bike that he rode during the early years of SNL. And the bike is actually at the Institute. All right. Well, as long as they don't have any of Jay Leno's fucking cars. Nope, nope, nope. Just Dan Aykroyd's bike. <laughs> but um, I also I took a variety of pictures, some of which I am going to send to Scott. Maybe you can post them on the on the website. Absolutely. So I will I will give I will I will pick the 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 best of the pictures that I have and get them to Scott so you can post them so you can kind of see some of the cool things that they have. I took a lot of pictures of um like oh they have the Smothers Brothers outfits and instruments. Oh, like things like that. I took pictures of stuff like that. There's also some original um, hand-drawn animation cells. Like there's an original Jim Davis from Garfield. There is a, I don't know where the hell they got this, an original Charles M. Schultz. Oh, really? Yeah. An animation cell? Not, not an animation cell, an actual drawing from him. I'm sure he donated it. They, they, of course, they've got Rick and Morty, too, but they've also got originals like from like Betty Boop. I'm pretty sure there was a Felix the Cat, but I might be wrong. Well, I Felix. thought I saw Felix, but... Felix was huge in his day. Yes, indeed. But it was it was such 
a wonderful experience. They even have a section. We didn't do this because um, it wasn't what we thought it was. They had this, what they called comedy karaoke, and it's in the snack bar where you can like pick a, a, a famous routine and you can basically do the routine as karaoke. Oh, that sounds so That sounds so what? Painful. Uh, you know, it's yeah, at first, you know, we were sitting there thinking, I want to do the psycho song there. I just wanted to do the psycho song there, but then that was comedy karaoke, and I'm like, ah, no. And then we saw what they had. I'm like, I don't want to karaoke a routine by Ellen DeGeneres. No offense to Ellen, but no. I think you made the wise choice. I'm I'm pretty sure I did. And also, it was like getting very close to closing time. We were heading for the exit. And I was like, okay, this this is a thing that exists. Yay. <laughs> but no, um, we've already decided we're going to go back. So you were, there I mean, for, it was, you were there for one day? At the museum, yes. It's a three-hour drive from where we are. It's a real easy trip. It's a nice drive. And it is a phenomenal museum institute. I cannot endorse this place enough. It is an absolute fucking blast. And just to let everybody know, this is an unsolicited testimonial. We have not been paid for any comments we make about the National Institute of Comedy. They, in fact, don't know about it. And if they did, they would probably shut us down. (laughs) But seriously, if you are listening, you can get to Jamestown, New York. You want to go there. You you won't be disappointed. It is so much fun. It It is a joyous place to be. Well, you'll be slightly, let's be honest, you'll be slightly disappointed because they did take down that hideous, deformed statue of Lucy. Which is, which is no. the main the main reason I would have gone. So I have to admit, I'm kind of sorry we missed the Lucy and Desi Museum because apparently you can do your own Vitamita Vegemin commercial, and I really wanted to do that. You know what? That bit was so funny when I was a kid and didn't know how many people on that show were desperate alcoholics. Oh, really? Yeah, Desi Arnaz was an alcoholic. William Frawley was having a hard time getting work at that point because he was such a heavy drinker. So, oh. Man, okay, massive buzzkill, Scott. <laughs> You're welcome. So let's let's end our let's end our virtual visit to the National Comedy Museum with alcoholism and a welcome splash of reality. Thanks, Scott. Way to get into the spirit. <laughs> this is why I do the show with you, Scott. <laughs> Now, speaking of shows, something else I kind of want to touch upon. I was going to do this on Twitter, but I wound up not doing it just because of computer issues and such like that. And because we Um, have a show where you could do stuff like this. You don't need Twitter. That's very true. I I kind of enjoy my time away from it anyway. But um, as I said on Twitter, last month marked not only the 25th anniversary of the film Natural Born Killers, but the 25th anniversary of two little-known stoner comedy critics named Mike and Ike. The first Mike and Ike review that was ever done was of Natural Born Killers. And a little bit of backstory here. Scott, I'm going to throw this at you now. I don't think we've done this before on the show. If we have, I apologize. But while I'm telling the story, any question you want to ask about the boys, I will answer. Ah. Okay. So I was hired at the University of Akron's paper. I wasn't even going to Akron University at the time, but I was hired by the editor of the paper. He and, the, me- and the interview was very brief. He said, we're looking for a writer. He said, I write. He said, we, we're looking for someone who doesn't go to the University of Akron because we prefer someone who's literate. <laughs> Actually, it was even quicker than that. 
Oh, really? Yes. He walked up to me and he goes, hey, I just took over editorship for the Akron U paper. I want a movie critic that does something different. Are you interested? He saw you coming, didn't he? Yes, he did. Like I said, he knew me from theater. <laughs> and he said he just wanted something different with film criticism. And I thought I'm going to get – well, I, I wasn't getting paid, but I was getting my films reimbursed. So I was seeing movies for free. Nice. Which I was perfectly fine with at that in 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 ninety seven and or whatever the fuck yeah ninety seven I think is when it was and um the first film that I went to go see was Natural Born Killers and that movie just completely messed with my head. Uh, there were five other people in the audience. I saw it first day, first show, and I remember thinking at one point, oh my god, someone is going to stand up in this film and start shooting at people. Which is almost the point the film was trying to make. I mean, I got the, the movie genuinely affected me and just how the how the film was done just so messed with my head. I could not for the life of me figure out how to review this movie because it was one of the strangest films I had seen at that time at that time. And I genuinely didn't know how how to get my thoughts across. And I, for some reason, it, it sort of sprang from Siskel and Ebert because I love patter and I love the idea of a conversation. And then I thought, I'll write it as a script. Hmm. I'll have two people talking that way. I can like, you know, have I can like argue points. If I want to, and I can, I can do all sorts of really weird things within the confines of a script with two people talking about a film. This is cool. I can be Siskel and Ebert. And that is how Mike and Ike were born. The very first thing, they did not have names at that point, but one was English, one was Southern, and they were sitting in a Taco Bell talking about natural born killers. And if any of you have seen the uh, YouTube video for Getting Stoned, which is a two-part, one of the early videos that we did in the newest incarnation, almost that entire original review of natural born killers is on that video. So if you're if you're not an early adopter... Here's your chance to get in on the ground floor. <laughs> YouTube.com slash Mike and Ike zero one stuff is still up there. Nobody watch it. I did this back before YouTube became monetized and I got out as soon as money came into it. Yeah, we seem to have an instinct for that. <laughs> as soon as it started becoming about money, I said, I'm getting the hell out of this because I know what's coming. And <laughs> I was right. I didn't know it was coming. Somebody had said, well, we're monetizing videos. <clears throat> I would think, all right, well, that's going to fundamentally change the nature of YouTube. Uh, and then they followed up with, what do you think exactly will happen? I probably would have had some sort of chin-stroking palaver to offer. But the thing I would not have had was the correct answer, which would be Nazis. <laughs> but anyway, that review got the most letters that the, that the book delight had ever gotten at that point either people saying that was the funniest thing they had ever read or what the fuck have you done you've ruined film criticism <laughs> i'm not kidding we got we got a this is this wasn't a film review comedy does not belong in film reviews was something that somebody at akron you said and the and the editor mark was his name immediately knew he had something <laughs> yeah so he said keep doing it and i did it for about six months and i did i got people either loved it or hated it there was absolutely no middle ground and then you know life went on blah 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 several years later i got involved in a theater list 
a local theater list from theater people all around the Ohio area. It was for, um, basically, it was for audition notices and stuff like that. And I decided for shits and giggles, let's have the boys review theater. (laughs) So the second incarnation, they appeared occasionally. I used to write for a, uh, I also, in between, I wrote for a small press horror magazine. And um, they showed up a couple times in that. Got the same reaction. People either loved or hated it. And oh dear lord, the reaction I got from theater people. My favorite, my favorite negative comment. True story. Now, before I get into this review, I have to say I never criticized actors in community theater because they're not getting paid. If I saw a touring show where I knew actors were getting paid and the acting was bad, then I called them on it. The only actor that I ever criticized in any reviews of community theater was myself. That's right. Yes, I've I've read I read I I don't remember which ones, but I remember you sent me some reviews in which you just savaged yourself. Yes, uh, yes. Well, I got a review. I got a, a very very angry email from a mother who said that her son was absolutely distraught over all the horrible things that I said about him during the review, and I sent her an email back saying, "Please tell me what I said." I never got a response. Because I didn't say anything. That was what that was one. And, and people actually asked asked me why I never actually talked about acting. I talked about technical problems. I would talk about the script, the direction sometimes, but never the acting. And I always said because these people aren't getting paid. Well, the directions, the, the directions, fair game. Roast those assholes. Yes. Yes, mostly a lot, a lot of time. And, and, and then I would also, you know, do the mic and neck treatment on, on, on the play itself. And there were a couple, like I tried twice actually to do a live action version of the characters before the, the, the most recent one. And, um, that unfortunately, it just, it just, it never clicked. The boys never felt right in the real world until I met Walter. And then it all came together when mom sang along. Yes, exactly. As soon as mom said pig fucker, I knew everything was exactly what it needed to be. And for those who are wondering, yes, the album is coming. We had some technical problems, which I discovered after I got my brain back together. We are going back into the recording studio. The stuff is still coming. Yay. So, yes, it was it, it, it was another one of those. OK, once I finally got out of the, 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 the mind issues with my mom. Oh, yeah. By the way, this happened to my computer. Well, fuck me. But that, but that is neither here nor there. But yeah, we did the YouTube thing. We did that, and the really funny thing, I don't, I don't even remember how we, st- how how the podcast got started. I knew I had we'd started doing some videos, and um, I think yeah, I'm pretty sure Tom Elliott, who was run, doing a show called The Gentleman's Grindhouse at the time, contacted me on Twitter and said, "Hey, do you want to do some bits for our show?" So um, we started doing reviews to, of horror films to songs, and that caught on with them. That was how the European audience caught on. That was how I met the Geek Planet people, and that was how the Ass Jam was born. Yeah, I think really the answer to any question, so I, how did the podcast get started, is the same for everybody. It's really like they just start spontaneously like mold. It's just- and Lord knows this one was definitely moldy. <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, no. this 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 one's that was actually premeditated. It's like most podcasts, I think, are manslaughter. This is murder. I, d- d- yeah, yeah. And I, I do got to say, looking looking back on it, because I, I got kind of reminiscent over over the podcast era recently, and I got to say, the one thing that I am most proud of, even though I never expected it to turn into an interview show, was some of the chats that we had. Yes, we got some fucking 
amazing people to come on this stupid little comedy show and play. Oh my, I, I wish that the Barry Bostwick interview had survived the Geek Planet Purge because, oh my God, I wish you people who hadn't heard it could hear it because Barry Bostwick played along so well. It did. It's on our website. The Bostwick interview? Yeah. We it don't, is? Yeah, we don't, we don't have the Richard Hatch interview, sadly, but the Barry Bostwick interview, the Mike and Ike days, is on the slumgullion.com. Oh my God! Okay, I, okay, I for, I forgot that, that that one had survived. It was the Richard Hatch one, also. I I I actually thought that the um the Ray Bossett one had gone too. Good, 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 good. Okay, yeah, hunt that sucker down. I believe it's called Fork Scorpion. Yeah, it's in the. I don't know what we called it on the on the web. It may just say Barry Bostwick. It's also Barry Bostwick. Right, right, right. And I got, I actually sent the interview to a Rocky Horror website because I thought I'd try and get some viewers. Rocky Horror people might get it, and the guy who ran the website thought it was the worst interview he'd ever heard because he didn't get that it was a joke. Uh, he could not believe some of the questions that I had asked him. And I was like, well, you, you do remember that I told you these are characters, right? And he said, wait, they're characters? And I said, you know what? You're one of the reasons why I quit going to Rocky Horror. Goodbye. <laughs> that was how I ended that particular conversation. But dear Lord, an idol of mine, Barbara Crampton, that was, that was the one that was the most nerve-wracking for me. Out of everybody, Barbara Crampton was the most nerve-wracking for me. It was a great show. Uh, I Just because, I mean, Reanimator and From Beyond are two of my favorite films, especially From Beyond. And I think she is just so fucking good in that film. And just the fact that she was willing to come on, that was just so... Uh, and then, of course, the big get for... The, bit, the one that made Walter exceptionally happy, besides Richard Hatch, of course. Uh, that was... nine Longest interview. That man, uh, God bless his soul, and I do not mean this in, in a bad way at all, would not shut up. It was great. <laughs> he had just so many stories, and he was also just willing to talk. It was it, it, it was a that was that was an amazing experience. But Walter was really fond of the interview that we did with Michael Ryan, who was the story editor for Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated. Which, as I have said many times, is the is the only Scooby Doo that I can honestly say is kind of brilliant. I never thought that I would say Scooby Doo is kind of brilliant. <laughs> Our running joke is I can't believe we're saying I can't wait to see what happens next on Scooby Doo. Yeah, I. Uh... I wouldn't have gotten near it if you hadn't strenuously recommended it and bugged me about oh, it. Oh, I understand I, completely. Until I finally watched it. And then I was converted with the very first episode. The fact that Fred is torn between his love for Daphne and traps. Yes. The funniest running bit. And like in, in the finale, I was so happy. We, we, we were just excited as hell that we got to talk to the man who gave Shaggy balls. And we got to say, thank you for finally giving Shaggy Balls. Shaggy Balls. Insert well, obvious pun here. A kilo of Kilmer and Shaggy Balls. Yeah, yeah. These are the phrases with which we have gifted the language. And for that, there was much rejoicing. Yay. And what's really funny is I need to get a hand on these. If I, if I ever get these, I have to get them to you, Scott. You will laugh hysterically. Just for shits and giggles, when I worked at Blockbuster Video, I wrote a fake series of commercials with Mike and Ike in Blockbuster Video. They were collected in a booklet, and only a few people got them. It was lost in the mist of time. And a couple of months ago, a, f a fan who has been around since the paper days contacted me on Twitter and said, hey, look what I found. He showed me the script. And I'm like, oh, my God, that, that, that thing still lives. If I can find them, we, we may actually record them just for shits and giggles because I remember there were actually some really good there – were, there were a few really good jokes in there. That was the one thing – that's the one thing that I am most proud of for every joke that died there was at least one joke that made people laugh laugh hysterically well hey 
500 is a very high batting average. <laughs> and and I I have absolutely no problem with that. So, Scott, do you in fact have any behind the scenes or any type of question about the boys? I throw it over to you, sir. I... Unfettered access. I appreciate that, but uh, I've pretty much got unfettered access. I've had it for years. I've asked all my questions and answered them. And the one fresh question I had, which was, what the hell's the deal with the with the album? You answered. So, no, you, you completely quashed my query. Well, I am. I am very. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not glad that I quashed your query, but I'm glad I was able to answer it. Thank you. <laughs> well, all right. Oh, and actually, one other real fast thing. Have you seen the trailer for Jojo Rabbit? I saw it today. I want to see this movie so bad. Yes, that was my thought, too. Dear God, I love Taika Waititi. I mean, I've been a fan of his since like, since I saw What We Do in the Shadows. Thor Ragnarok well, is just one of my favorite Marvel films, period. But, oh, my God, seeing him get back into the low-budget insanity just makes me so happy. Yeah, when I first heard about it, it was just what I, uh, I imagine was the logline. 12-year-old boy has an imaginary friend and it's Adolf Hitler. I don't think so. But no, it's it's a kid who's in hit, the Hitler Youth in Germany in World War II. I'm going, oh, okay, now it makes much more sense. And it's not just a gross effort to shock. It's a legitimate effort to shock. So <laughs> I'm down with that. But it just looks... Oh, absolutely. If you, if you have not seen the trailer yet, folks, hunt down the Jojo Rabbit trailer. It also has Scarlett Johansson and Sam Rockwell, as well as Taika Waititi playing Adolf Hitler. And um, it's going to be a fun thing. I'm not going to make any predictions like that about it, but I uh, I definitely have to see it. I have very high, high expectations. Um, have you had a chance to watch What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show? No, I don't even know what it's on. What channel is it on? Uh, okay. Channel-wise, it's on FX or FXX. It's on one of the Fox channels. But um, the first season is now on this. This is, is now on Hulu. Okay, I loved the film. I thought the film was an insane little vampire comedy. The television show is better. Is it really? Because I I enjoyed the film very much. Oh, okay. If you've seen the film and you loved the film, dear God, Scott, the TV show is fracking amazing. They do this thing in the seventh episode with the Vampire Council, the Vampire High Council. I do not want to spoil the joke in case you can hunt down the series and watch it, but it is, without a doubt, my favorite vampire joke in the history of history, period, to quote the boys. Well, go ahead and spoil it then, because I, I don't know if I'm going to put that much work into finding it. Okay, well, the, the Vampire Council is called because um, the new vampires, one of which is played by one of the actors from the classic British weird show Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Oh, yeah. Which made me very happy to see him still working and being something very weird. <clears throat> they are called before the Vampire Council. Okay. Now, some of the members of the Vampire Council are actually the characters from what we do in the shadows. I was wondering if there was any crossover. The other members of the Vampire Council are almost every actor who has played a vampire in a movie in the last 20 years. Oh, that's hilarious. And the actors themselves are vampires. Tilda Swinton is in the episode. Wesley Snipes shows up via Skype. <laughs> Paul Rubens, looking just like he did in Buffy, is in the episode. Oh, that's a deep cut. Danny Trejo is in it. Oh, all right. They make jokes about Brad and Tom not being around or not wanting to show up for the stupid little meeting. <laughs> Apparently, they literally went to everybody, every major actor who's played a vampire. 
within the last 20 years that, hey, do you want to be in this? Christopher Lee's dead. We're a little desperate. Exactly. But it is, it's a beautiful joke, and just seeing them all in a scene together is priceless. Yeah, having a, a group of vampires, one of whom is Tilda Swinton, is one of those no-duh kind of moments. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the cast that they have for the three vampire, the three main vampires in particular, are are just it's perfect casting, and there is at least one laugh until it hurts moment in every episode for me. Again, an unsolicited testimony. Yes, 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 and it is coming back for a season two, and I am. I mean, I was excited for the show to begin with, but now I'm just like, okay, since Santa Clarita Diet is gone, this is my new sitcom, and it's only a half hour. It is a sitcom. <laughs> Well, I don't like sitcoms, but I think I will, I'll give this one a, a chance. Yeah, it, ha- it has no laugh track except you. Ah, well, that's a lot of pressure. I don't know if I can rise to that challenge. <laughs> and one last trailer I want to throw at you real fast. The trailer for The Mandalorian. Okay, what'd you think of that? Uh, it didn't change my feelings about it. Pre- I pretty much feel the same way now as I did after I saw the leaked footage, which is I'm very interested. I am on the tipping point between excited and ready to be disappointed. Could go either way. Unfortunately, I am much more in the bring it. I'm in. I'm in. I hope I'm not disappointed, but I'm officially into the give me this. I, 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 and I love, I love the fact that they're doing it week by week. I know a lot of people are mad. And I'm like, fuck binge culture. Let, let, let's go back to the days when you actually got a chance to talk about each individual episode. That's how I feel. I don't understand binge culture. I, I, I don't understand how you can get anything out of a show if you consume it in great gulping drafts all at once. I And I've had this conversation with my friend Laura, who brought up the fact that one of the pleasures of TV was having a week to think about some oh shit moment. Exactly. There are no cliffs to fall off of. With the cliffhangers, if you can just go immediately to the next, there the cliffhangers become speed bumps. And there are a lot of people who had that same complaint about Doom Patrol and the Teen Titans show on the DC streaming service because they were released week to week rather than all at once. But... Uh, yeah, I, I had no problem with that. I think I think it's well from a business perspective, it's a, it's a smart strategy because you don't burn all your content, and if you're not Netflix, you have to husband your content. Speaking of speaking of Netflix, like I cannot binge a Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance. Okay, I can't watch. I can't watch that. I'm sorry. You want to talk about Uncanny Valley? I cannot watch a whole show with dead-eyed, ugly puppets. I just can't do it. Wow. I hear it's great. I hear it's great that the storytelling is magnificent and and the world building is fantastic. But I just cannot relate to these dead-eyed creatures of felt and despair. I take it you didn't like the movie then? I never made it through the movie. Okay. Okay. Understood. Understood. Well, as a fan of the film, if I may offer a counterpoint for a second here. But I I totally get your point. I do. Because uh, it, it kind of took me out a little bit in the beginning. Like... Uh, the first episode did nothing for me. Okay. I'm not going to lie. The first episode, I just sat there going, oh my God, this is visually stunning, but I don't care about any of this. And I was a little bit worried. Okay. But then I watched the second and the third episode. And by the time I got to the third episode, I said, okay, I definitely need to take this a week at a time because there is some like, I hate using this as an example because I never watched the show, but I get why they're using this as an, as, as an example. There is some Game of Thrones level of storytelling going on here, not season eight. 
Okay. But I mean, there is, there is so much. This show is much like the original Dark Crystal is so not aimed at children. There's fucking racism in this show. Really? There's racism among the classes of, of the dead-eyed soulless puppets. <laughs> because now that I think I want, about I want it, to- that actually is kind of a theme with the latter-day Henson production. Remember in... Um, Happy uh, Time Murders. Happy Time Murders. The whole foundation of the story was anti-puppet racism. Yep. So it's apparently the Henson kids who inherited from Dagon, well, we're stuck with puppets, so I guess we need to fight for puppet civil rights? I... <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it, like I said, it took me a little bit to get into it, but now I am, I am completely completely hooked it it's making me feel like i did when i was at however old i was when the dark crystal came out because that i remember people hating it when it came out and i could not understand why yeah that was was very this is one of the most amazing fantasy films i've ever seen but man did it get lambasted by someone it came out because they're puppets and puppets are very limited in what they can do i mean you can do a lot more now if you want to cheat with cgi but they're basically not exciting screen presences that is a valid point i will i will not deny it but i have i i don't have as much of a problem with it as you do sir well, you know I am, me. I, I am thoroughly. No, that's, that's true. You, you, you are more grumpy McGrump nuts than I am today, I and am, that's okay. I have nothing but problems. <laughs> Female problems? Maybe. I, it's twisted. Okay, sorry, John Waters moment there. I apologize. I got 99 problems, and a puppet is one. <laughs> nice. All right, sir. Is there anything specifically you would like to talk about or bring up that you may have watched or seen or want to babble about? I'll just say this. The time to have treated it as a UMC is is come and gone. But I did revisit Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, we haven't actually officially talked about that. No, we haven't. And I went to see it at the uh, Alamo Draft House, which is open downtown L.A. How was the Alamo in L.A.? I enjoyed the experience. But they do have these very nimble, uh, as my friend said, ninja-like waiters that (laughs) scoot along at high speed in a crouch in front of your table, checking to see if you've ordered anything else, but not obstructing your view of the screen. And it's a little bit like my old neighborhood in New York, where you would catch rats just scuttling across the street real quick from one gutter to another. Um, (laughs) I feel bad about making that comparison. Maybe I'm bitter because I have trouble straightening up after sitting in a chair and these guys are running in a crouch. So that was a little weird, but I like the vibe. As far as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I I have a lot of things I could say about it. I'll just say this. Tarantino likes feet and (laughs) thinks women snoring is a thing people want to watch. I will add by saying I firmly believe that Brad Pitt's character was completely in love with Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Well, you notice he killed his wife, but he didn't kill Leonardo. Exactly. (laughs) So I think there is some subtextual support for that interpretation. I, I, I remember when I I remember sitting there <clears throat> watching the movie thinking they should they just need to fuck. When are they going to fuck? And I was so happy when I saw online other people were thinking the same thing. I'm like, okay, good. It's not just me. There is some actual maybe not intentional, but there is other people inferring from this. That is awesome. They absolutely would have. I mean, <clears throat> they were having that last uh, spoilers if you haven't seen it yet. They were having that last night together yep. before they basically parted. And they were planning to get dead drunk, which is usually what guys in an unrequited homosexual relationship do in order to excuse 
skews the the fuck they eventually get to. And you know what? In in many other movies, that probably would have led to them fucking. I basically I'll just say this. I think you're right. I think they would have fucked if it hadn't been for the Manson family. If the Manson family just hadn't showed up, there would have been some some Brad on Leo or Leo on Brad action. I love that sentence, Scott. Thank you so much. <laughs> Again, if it hadn't been for the Manson family, Brad and Leo would have fucked. That is an awesome sentence right there. That's how, that's how we review movies today, kids. All I'm going to say is I liked it. I didn't love it. Not one of my favorite Tarantino films. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Oh, oh, one last thing. One last thing. I do feel we need to talk about Spider-Man being gone. Ugh, I don't even want to. We haven't, actu- we haven't actually discussed this yet. This is all I'm going to say about it. I don't give a tin-plated shit. I'm kind of glad Disney doesn't fucking own everything. I can't argue with that, but I liked Spider-Man in the MCU so much, and it made so much sense to me. And Spider-Man was my character. He was the character I loved when I was a kid character that got me into comics the fact well, that you're still go- you're still gonna get i i know that even if it's a, even if it's going to be just at sony you're still going to get tom holland and the same writers and director yeah but you don't get the crossover with the marquee characters that was a hallmark of of the comics universe if i may play devil's advocate and i can't believe i'm playing devil's advocate for this but i am because i have I've, I've seen other people say this and i do kind of agree with this Spider-Man did have many issues where he didn't meet other superheroes. I'm just saying. That's absolutely true. But, but you, you know, you, you're putting out an issue a month. That's true. Whereas you're putting out a movie every two years. No, that is also a valid point. I, that, you are not wrong there. And there is a part of me, I mean, I, I, the only reason that I'm kind of upset about it is I, I'm, I'm just wondering, okay, so is, is the MCU even going to react to Peter Parker not being there anymore? Or is he just going to be blipped again and no one's just going to notice? There may be a throwaway line, but there may not. You know, wouldn't shock me if they just never mentioned it. Because if there's one thing, the mouse is not. It's forgiving. Ain't that the truth? I know that. Yeah. Yes, you have reason to know. <laughs> Jeff Jeff crossed the mouse, and that was it. <laughs> well, now that we've talked about alcoholism and me pissing off the mouse, I think we're done for the day. <laughs> I, I, I honestly can't think of any other ways to bring this whole thing down. I may have shot my depressive wad. I did my best. And you did a remarkable job, Scott. Thank you very much, as always. Thank you very much, everyone listening. As I said, coming very, very soon, the first UMC, UFC. What are the films? What will we think of them? You'll find out soon. So until later, later. So uh, it's, it's good we just recorded this because while we were talking, I just, this just popped up on my computer screen. You have an email from SoundCloud. Did I, am I over some limit or something? And uh, no, it's saying, are you still creating tracks? You, you should upload to grow your audience. <laughs> oh, fuck you. We're working on it right now. Oh, that's funny. Gotta love timing, man. Gotta love timing. Well, that's what comedy is, isn't it? <laughs> but um bum.